At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Are you trying to find the perfect distribution platform to get your music on Spotify and Apple? I personally use and love DistroKid. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash DistroKid to get a small discount and get access to a platform with unlimited uploads for a yearly fee. Happy uploading and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lou, the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> Marina Moreno. <laughs> I feel like on Wednesday we came up with so many. Yeah, and I used none of them. No. I used none of the nicknames that we thought of, and this is, I don't even know where that came from. Young Lou? Young Lou. Liddy Lou, all the all the above. Young Blue, uh, mix mix bus the glue, mm. <laughs> the glue. <laughs> all, anyway, um, and yeah. today we have a special guest, Giovanni from the record shop out in Nashville. Everybody say hi, or Giovanni, you can say hi to our audience. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Glad to be here. We are live on Twitch right now. If you are listening. Feel free to come join us on Mondays at 2 p.m. to join us as we record episodes of the podcast live on Twitch. That's twitch.tv backslash DK Mixes, D-E-E-K-E-I Mixes, um, every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. But we're here with Giovanni. We actually um, did an episode where we interviewed you. I interviewed you about, what, about a year ago? And um, totally just lost all the files, tried to come back to it, tried to recover it, not even close, and I felt bad. <laughs> and then you reached out to me again, and I was like, you know, this is a perfect time. Let's let's make it happen. So we're back again. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, I know it's been a really big hassle just trying to connect, but yeah. Yeah, it, good to be here, man. Yeah, of we'll course. Ma- we'll make it even better this time. Let's try it. That's right. So I want to talk a few, about a few different things. Um, I'd love to talk about... 
um, some technical stuff as an engineer, some techniques, uh, different things, but also about um, business. And so I want to first talk about um, your story, how you started, where you're at, what kind of business you do, the kind of like your, the services you provide, and how you've scaled and grown over the years and where you're at now. Absolutely. That sounds great. Where do you want to start? From the beginning, as in like uh, moving to Nashville and, and the interning process that you told me about before. Yeah, absolutely. So my, um, my story and my move to Nashville was um, interesting and uh, eye-opening uh, when I got here. I moved here for an internship at a major studio here in town. And when I showed up for work the first day, the studio manager informed me that I wasn't going to be able to take on this uh, position uh, that had the potential to lead to be an assistant at the studio uh, because of some paperwork and uh, some stuff that fell through. So I'm in town and I had a lease on a place for a few months and was was really counting on this gig to be able to get me on my feet and be my first step into the door in the industry. And it was, uh, in the um, in hindsight, a really great opportunity that never happened because it led me down the path of working for myself and finding my own uh, path into this industry and being fortunate to be able to now have a career where I have a ton of freedom with how I spend my time and my and my creativity. Nice. Yeah, and so it didn't happen. You started a studio. I mean, tell us about that whole process. Were you in the spot that you're in now? Um, I assume it started smaller. Did you take on investors? Um, all the jazz, like just kind of the from the ground up. How did how did that happen? After that gig fell through, I went back down the street on Music Row down 16th Avenue to this little apartment that I had that was above some offices. Fortunately, I was I, I was able to find a place to live that was on Music Row, and uh, I basically turned this little one bedroom apartment into a makeshift uh, demo studio. Uh, so just turned the closet into an ISO booth, had a futon and as like a lounge sort of thing, and then built, set up like a little table and you know control room. Uh, very modest setup. Uh, I could record a vocal, build some tracks, uh, record one one instrument at a time, you know, acoustic guitar, maybe electric guitar if I didn't crank the amp too loud. One time I put a drum set in this tiny little apartment and within like 20 minutes, the cops were banging on my door and uh, almost looking confused, like, bro, how stupid could you be to put, <laughs> just tr- try to put a drum set in this, uh, in this apartment and think nobody's going to complain? Um, but I, luckily, I didn't get a ticket. They just gave me a you know warning and, and took off. So it was very much starting that way, just just small with a little bit of equipment. And um, the the next step really was just to get out around town. Uh, a town like Nashville, we're in a fortunate position where there is music being played absolutely everywhere. You go to the bank, the grocery store, the gas station. Uh, there's somebody that's uh, got a mic set up and you know and, and playing. So there's a lot of opportunity to uh, to meet folks. And uh, that's what that's what I did. I spent my time just going out to every writer's night that I could find, um, places where showcases were happening. Started to get a feel for where the the kind of hip spots were in town, and also where some of the dive spots were. And what I found was that in some of those more divier spots, those were the places where the people that were brand new to town, like me, that didn't have any connections yet, were able to get gigs. Because uh, the other more high profile spots, you know, you had to have a little clout and. Um, some relationships built um, to be able to get on those slots. But there were a ton of venues where you could pretty much just walk up and, you know, sign your name on a list and, you know, and play. 
Um, so I started frequenting those places and started to, to discover people that were in the same position in their artistic career that I was in my producer engineer career. And so that led to, um, to starting to develop a small client base of some singer songwriters, some hip hop artists, some pop artists. And um, slowly but surely, uh, that's, that started to, to expand. Um, but it was really just working on demos and vocal sessions and building tracks for people um, early on. I got really excited about that, that process. And, you know, as things go, one thing leads to another thing. And as you started to find my circle around things, I found that what I got the most passionate about within the technical skill set that I had as an engineer and as a producer was working one-on-one -on -one with an artist to help them bring the vision for their song to life. So that's where my focus got more, more leaning towards the producer and production side of things as opposed to just uh, an engineer. Um, but also having the skill sets of an engineer, it allowed me to be able to take on a pretty wide variety of uh, projects you know, with artists. And uh, since I didn't have really any cloud or resume or any major projects that I had worked on yet, I thought that it would be helpful for me to be able to brand my work as a producer engineer uh, around a business and a company that had a specific mission as opposed to just being another like freelancer that was just trying to find another gig with things. And my goal was to be able to create a pathway for my career that would allow me to be able to work with artists in a variety of different capacities. So I combined those ideas together and I created what became the record shop with the goal of helping artists achieve their artistic vision and creating art that will outlast them. Sweet. Uh, so those yeah, are the early and, days. Um, I think uh, one thing that I've been thinking about the last few weeks is, um, and how long has... How long have you been in Nashville doing music? I've been in Nashville for 16 years. So in the 16 years here, in retrospect, I, I want to ask you this. Have you done more business, improved your craft, um, improved clientele? I don't know. In general, has most of your success and improvement come from investing in the people that you started with or working with people that were already big? Invested in the people that, that you start with. Which is really and interesting And I was just having a conversation about this with, uh, with, a, not, with a session musician. And um, the, the idea when you move to a town like Nashville, your eyes are wide open. You're looking for that big gig. Uh, you know, you have this idea in your mind that you need to find that big break that's going to put you into that place. And what I, what I learned is that, for me at least, there, there wasn't really that one moment or that singular thing that was like that big break and now all of a sudden everything I'm working on is a, you know, is a number one record. It's a slow experience of one opportunity after another, some of which those opportunities might shine a little bit brighter than others, but all of them are intertwined in some way and connect in ways that we, we don't really understand in the moment, but then we can look back and see how that one path you know, led to another path and gets there. And it's, but my idea, and, and I moved here to work at a major label's recording studio because my idea, my thought was that, you know, you, you got to work and prepare yourself to be able to find that big break, that opportunity to get in front of those artists. But then I learned that all of those artists already have those people. And that's not to say that I don't have the motivation to try to break into that crew that's already there. But you got to remember that that crew was developed when all of those people didn't have anything going on in their career. So what I found over the last 16 years that what was much more valuable early on was to invest in people that I believed in and that I felt artistically connected with and then to grow uh, with them. 
And you see as one person finds a great opportunity, they can bring part of the group along. And then somebody else finds this thing and then we pull in, you know, in this direction. And so now there's people that I've worked with for, you know, 16 years uh, in town. And we both started with not with nothing, you know, not knowing anybody, um, not having any big gigs, just kind of the, you know, the little things you can pick up here and there and are now in a position, fortunately, in our careers where, um, you know, we've, we've broken into that um, more, I don't know, substantial commercial side of the industry and, um, and are privileged to be able to have work every day and uh, be able to keep working on, you know, on great projects. I think that this is uh, actually a really important point. And the reason why I think it's an important point is because I think there is valuable. There is value in um, reaching out and working with artists that are big, right? And But I think people keep, and myself included, I think I keep forgetting how valuable it is to work with everyone around you. As, as long as what you said, believe if, as long as you believe in them and enjoy their artistic process. And I think even in my own success, I've had the most amount of success and personal improvement when I was working with artists from the beginning. And, and this is something that I, I think, and I don't know, um, this is something that I tweeted the other day where I really believe that if you stay in the music industry long enough and invest in people long enough, everyone's slowly going to get better and, and improve and, and put themselves in a higher place in the industry over time. And if you can stick it out, then I think that those relationships that at the beginning, both of y'all were, I don't want to say nobodies, but um, became someone substantial over the years. And I think that that is uh, an awesome thing. And I love that your answer was so automatic because even to you, without the, any sort of data, it was just so clear that investing in, in other people in similar positions, not really worrying about it, is, has been so beneficial to you. Anyway, so going back to this, Sorry, I apologize. That was a little bit of a tangent, and I really, actually, really like that answer. And um, no, that that was great, man. It's a really important uh, topic. Can I share one more thing with you that yes, I think would be really helpful? Please do. So, while I had a very clear answer for that in my in my mind and in my daily work, I'm not always that clear with myself on that answer. And mm. it can be very easy to become distracted with trying to level up as opposed to being patient and persistent in the, in the world that you're in. And I think that both are important. I don't by any means think that you should stray away from one uh, or like only focus on that, you know, development thing and not try to take those shots and build those relationships. You absolutely should. But sometimes you, the more success begets success, the more opportunities you get, the bigger the stage you're on, then you want to be on an even bigger stage because it feels great. And you see that, uh, atmosphere and energy, you know, around you. So it can be easy to get stuck in that. The other side of it that's really important is to recognize that while we do want to be around people that we connect with and that are and that we can grow with and be together, we also have to recognize the people that are not necessarily putting in the work to grow. Because sometimes we can find ourselves investing our time into people that are really fun to hang out with because it's a cool vibe. But it's maybe too much fun and not enough focus on intention about where we're headed, you know, together. Uh, the people that you might have a lot of fun, you know, h- hanging with, but in 10 years, are they still going to be here? And are they going to be at the level that you intend to be? Do you believe that in their future too? So I think both sides of that is something to remember when you, when you talk about that topic and think about how you apply that principle to your career. 
Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Because I, when I answered my thoughts, I was thinking from the perspective of younger engineers and producers that are quite frankly making excuses saying that I haven't had the hit record yet because I haven't worked with these people. And the only reason why I haven't done better is because I haven't worked with these bigger artists. And you just give me that one shot to work with these bigger artists. Like, yes, you should be pursuing those things. But like you said, um, it's also a combination of, you know, there's, you don't have to wait till you're at the volcano to dig for diamonds in your backyard, you know? And, uh, absolutely. So that was, um, but I really, really like that. I, I'm, I think that that'll put some things into perspective for some of our listeners here. Um, let's let's move on and talk more about the studio in the sense that, and how long has the studio been officially open now? The record shop. Well, the the business of the record shop was not necessarily built around a studio. It was built around the idea of a multifaceted production company. And I'd like to say that that was like a grand vision, but one of the main reasons for that was that when I started the business, I didn't have a studio. So I'm in a town like Nashville where I have access to a lot of different commercial studios, and those were the studios that I worked out of uh, primarily, and then I would bring stuff back to my home studio to do editing and and maybe mixing um, and that sort of thing, but uh, a majority amount of the work that I was doing um, outside of vocal recording, editing, and mixing was all done in other commercial studios. So the record shop was built around the idea of a production company that would be multifaceted, but focused primarily on a philosophy behind production of the producer focusing on the artist's vision first and their vision second, and combining that together into a cohesive direction within each each record that is focused on the gut instinct and the the expertise, I guess, or direction and ideas of the producer but is led by the vision of the artist. My early experiences in, in professional recording studio environments, I saw a lot of artists almost be ignored in some ways in their, in their own project because the engineer thought, I went to school for this, I know how to make this sound right, and you don't have the right vocabulary to explain this to me, so I'm just going to do what I do because I know what I'm doing and you're going to like it, I guess. You know? And that was what I experienced, you know, artists having that thing. Or working with a producer... And the producer had this vision for how they thought the artist should sound, but the artist was being trying at least the best that they could to be very vocal about what their personal direction was and how they heard their record happening. And I saw many experiences where the producer didn't necessarily see that and didn't and didn't really, you know, ignore that. Or would it would ignore their their direction. And there's a really great quote by there's a really great quote by a, a legendary engineer. Uh, named Al Schmidt. And he says, uh, the artist's name goes on the front of the record. My name goes on the back of the record. So allow them to speak their mind. You know, allow them to try to communicate. And we need to do our job to translate that. And so having those experiences and then working with a lot of artists and figuring out what I enjoyed the most about the process, which is collaboration, I developed the record shop around this this idea of more of a a production company that's focused on the philosophy of helping artists bring their their vision to life. Uh, Those visions started with me just focused on audio and production, but then I started to see the need that artists had for visual content, whether video, photography, uh, building out website, building out social media, um, and uh, graphics, getting their branding right. So I started connecting with people that were experts in those different fields. And then I started um, working as a, I guess, creative director with, with some of the artists that I was producing. 
And I found that to be a lot of fun. It helped me get outside of my head and work my creativity in a different way that wasn't solely focused on something sonic, but something visual um, or just a philosophy and a, a strategy around how to get music out there and, you know, and share it. Um, and so through, through doing that, then we started hosting uh, showcases around town. I started a hip-hop showcase, um, which, which uh, hip-hop in Nashville at the time didn't have much of a voice as far as venues go. There was a big underground community around it, but there weren't a lot of places that artists could just go out and play like, say, a country artist or a gospel artist could. Um, so we created a, a, a showcase where um, hip-hop artists in town could come out and perform. We tried to build a community around it. Um, I had a, a, a freestyle battle and DJ battle competition that I did uh, monthly at a college just outside of Nashville. And I tried to create these, these little cool scenes with, with um, specific genres or, or markets that were kind of underserved at the time in the Nashville community. Uh, and then I started a, a program, uh, partnered with a program called Balcony TV, which uh, was a global online music show that featured artists performing on, on balconies in major cities around the world. So all of those things were built around the idea of the brand of supporting the community and helping artists bring their vision uh, to life. So initially, the record shop was not intended to be uh, a traditional studio. And I don't really consider the record shop a studio as much as a production company and a creative environment and community for artists to, to collaborate. So, so at first, there was not a studio. It's, just it's the more idea of around a, the business. You, you would kind of categorize it more as an office space rather than a co traditional commercial recording studio. Um, well, the, the space itself is really designed to be an audio-video studio. Um, but the environment and the, the way that we work would be different than a traditional recording studio. I, I focus more on working with artists on projects and uh, longer-term um, goals uh, as opposed to uh, focusing on just how many hours in a day can I book this uh, studio for and get paid a transactional thing just for... Uh, pressing record, uh, or producing a track, or something like that. If you don't mind me uh, asking. My focus is more on the long-term, like, project-type um, work. While yeah, we do book the studio like a, a traditional studio for some artists, uh, a majority of our work is focused on a uh, small group of, of artists that we focus on l larger and longer-term uh, projects with. If you don't mind me asking, I think uh, a good question here is, how did you find that... I guess you could say separation between when you built uh, the studio, you know, a lot of studios get built with the idea that they need to book time to pay for their cost, their overhead. And then yours seems to operate on quite the opposite on overall projects. Now, a lot of studios have a hard time building an audience with, uh, with different artists because they're marketing a space rather than a relationship. How, aside from yourself, are there others that you work with that take on these projects in your space? Or how did you, how did you manage to get this location as part of the business on a long-term basis versus short-term bookings? I think that's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind is the research that I was doing, excuse me, early on when that internship fell through. Um, you know, so I, I leave that, the, the, the meeting that I had with the studio manager at this, at the dream job that I moved to Nashville for, um, thinking that this was my foot, you know, foot in the door and went back to this little apartment and was trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to survive now? Cause I got rent money for like two months. Uh, so yeah, that, the fo my suck. focus was entirely on how do I be a freelancer? How do I, uh, start finding opportunities? How do I understand the business side of this more 
because I'm, I'm understanding now that I'm not going to be able to rely on someone else to bring the work to me, but I have to figure out how to get the work. So I went to the bookstore and I bought every book that I could, that I could find that seemed relevant to uh, business, to the music business, uh, to building a, you know, a creative career, to any sort of creative field. And I just started reading. One of the big principles that came up over and over and over again was finding your purpose and creating a mission, or a mission statement. You know? So the mission statement idea is more corporate thing of you know, what do we do on a day-to-day basis to serve our, our, our customers. And, uh, and your purpose you know, might be more focused into the um, you know, find your why um, you know, t- type ph- philosophy that, that definitely connects with creatives a lot more than create your mission statement. You know? And uh, it, it can sound a little cliche because uh, it gets, you know, gets th- thrown around a lot and it's a little tough to take these corporate things and move them into a creative side. But that was um, 1,000% how I was able to at least uh, formulate in my imagination the idea of a non-traditional recording studio that could survive on a reputation uh, through the experience that their client has rather than a reputation about the building and the gear. The other thing that I recognize, being in a major market like Nashville, every studio has expensive microphones and a great console and good outboard gear, uh, well-tuned, acoustically-treated space. Uh, the differences that I started to have, feel once I was booking out those rooms was not necessarily the sound of the room, but the environment, the staff, uh, the, if the equipment was working well, uh, the experience that I had, and did I feel good going in there? You know, did I feel welcomed and you know excited? And if you feel good in that environment, you know, you're going to feel more creative. Your work is probably going to, you know, feel better. And I wanted to know if I felt supported or if I felt like someone that was, you know, that was just bringing them another gig that was going to pay the mortgage on the building that, you know, that month. So I thought about my own experience and then I thought about a lot of the stuff that I was, that I was reading. And the primary way I, I believe that I was successful in being able to build this model of a production company, which has a recording studio, but doesn't require doesn't exist uh, solely on the basis of studio time is through having a clear mission and purpose behind it. And also that mission and purpose being very much aligned to what I enjoy the most about my work. I think that if I had just created something that I thought sounded cool and would be good to put on the top of my website as like a headline, it doesn't, it's not going to connect long-term. Yeah. Those, those long-term client relations, it's just, it feels like it does when, you know, you walk into a Walmart and you'd see whatever their motto is. You don't really believe that. They just want to get as many people into, you know, to sell stuff as with the best margin that they can, you know? Um, at least that's the feeling that I would get when I walk into a, to a store like that. Um, and, and so I needed to create uh, a mission a statement and a clear uh, purpose behind the work that I was doing that I felt authentically connected with, that I could share with people and that they could see in my eyes and feel in the experience that they had that I authentically felt that way. It wasn't intended to be like a gimmick or like, a new way of like business plan or doing things. It came together very organically through traditional business principles that I guess I applied to figure out a unique way to be able to serve the modern recording industry market in a town like Nashville in a way that hadn't, that, that, that wasn't being done, you know, in the same way that would help uh, differentiate. Nice. I actually really like that answer. Now, I feel like another question that kind of ties into that is obviously as you grow, uh, this new building is new level of overhead, but starting out, your only overhead was really your cost of living. 
Now, when you came to finding your first couple clients out in Nashville, because uh, I'll be honest, you know, I'm born and raised in L.A., so I knew what my cost of living is. I knew what I needed to make to at least pay my bills out here. But you were new to town and everything. How did you approach your first clients uh, budget-wise, things like that? Like, And then how did you grow into your, I guess, situation now? You have a much higher overhead. You pay other people for their job as well as part of your production team. How did mm-hmm. you find the way to actually scale yourself upward, not just in how much work you can get done more efficiently, but financially speaking, how were you able to scale your cost up with your clients? Like, how did those conversations go? Did you see a lot of clients fall off or with the the maintenance of these early relationships, did you see that you retained more than, you know, we talk about customers versus clients. Clients are coming for you. Customers are just fly by night. Uh, did you see a lot of people drop off over time? Like, how was your cost of doing business with your clients starting out and then, you know, to now, now that you have a higher overhead and a team? To put simply, how how did you scale? Is I, th- I think, how did you scale? Well, I think the idea of how did you scale, uh, it, it, it's, I'm looking back, I'm thinking back on it, like, you know, kind of the process of where do you start and where do you get to? Yeah. And really, you, you do good work. You're reliable. Um, you build strong relationships that are, that are not just networking, but that have value to them. You figure out ways to be valuable to others. And in return, you get invited into circles which allow you to be able to work at a higher and higher level until you know, and when you're in that, you know, in that position. And then the result of working at that level is that you're seen at that level, which makes it less challenging to, for people to see the, uh, you know, the value that you have. And now there, and you don't accept people to price shop with you, I guess. So this is, this is the experience that you're going to have. This is the work that, that we do and feel confident, you know, with it and understand the world's abundant, you know? So yeah. really just like, just time and doing good work. But the whole idea of um, how do you manage like raising rates and people falling off and dealing with that, I think that that that, um, I can be a little bit more specifically navigated or or explained. Early on where I started, I charged, I think $15 an hour or something like that, which is 16 years ago. So, I mean, it hasn't been that much inflation, but it was really cheap for... You know, I didn't have a ton of equipment, had a decent interface and, you know, and, and Pro Tools, and I could produce some pretty solid tracks, and I had, I think, a Shure KSM 44 microphone. So, you know, mid-level $400 condenser mic or whatever. Um, now, I didn't charge very much at all, but I did that because I was in a very saturated market um, where there were an endless options for someone to go record. And I needed, and I at the time realized that I, I needed to be affordable to the people that were brand new to town like me that also didn't have you know a lot of work. So I didn't, didn't charge very much right away. But what I did, I found a, a part-time job DJing at a nightclub in town, and that job funded my um, cost of living. Very modest cost of living, you know, a, a tiny apartment and enough food to stay alive. Which yeah, and yeah. everything else that came in as income outside of that modest cost of living went into investing in equipment. So I started off with a small client base of artists that were moving to town around the same time that I was, and 
then as that started to grow, I invested that equipment into a nicer microphone, uh, into a better interface. I upgraded my computer so it ran more stable. Uh, and I started finding what are the things that are going to up my game and my sound and quality of what I'm doing uh, the best. And as I made those investments in myself, the people that I was working with at the time, I would say probably, it's tough to put a percentage on it, but I would say probably four, four out of five of them were totally fine with my price going up as I invested more into equipment. They saw the quality of what I was, the, the work improving. They understood that I wanted to help them grow and we were going to grow together. And they were totally happy with me starting to charge $20 an hour, $25 an hour, $35 an hour over the course of a, you know, a few years as I built out you know, better equipment. Uh, the, the, the other 20% you know, that, that fell off, I had to just accept that that's cool and that's the, that's the cost of, of growth. You know? Not everyone is going to uh, see the value in that investment. And if they don't want to invest in themselves in, in, that, in the same way that I am, then it comes back to, do you, are you surrounding yourself with the people that have the same mindset as you? And if they don't have that, you know, that same mindset, then it's probably better that they move on or they stay in an, in an area where they're just going for the cheapest possible option. And you focus the limited time that you, that you have on the artists that, that want to invest in themselves and continue to grow. Uh, I hear uh, engineers that are just getting started off say, say a lot, you know, it's really tough to get people to want to pay anything, you know, uh, for this. And I, I think it's more because the, the, the um, way that the experience and that the, the, the work that's being done, it just is um, presented as a very transactional experience. I, can, I have equipment, I can record things, and you're going to pay me a rate to do that. And, and that's what a lot of people uh, describe their work in that way, and they look at it that way. But what I was looking at was, I want to grow with you. I want, I want you to be successful. I want us to be able to become successful together. And that was the energy that we had you know, in the room. That's what we were, we were focused on. And we would talk about, I would talk about ideas with artists outside of just the records that we're working on. Um, you know, but how, how, how are we going to, you know, market this? And I would go to their shows, you know, and support them. Be part of the community, I guess, you know, a simple way of saying it. And so through that, building those types of relationships, it didn't become an issue when they saw me invest, uh, take go from a $400 microphone to a $5,000 microphone and raise my rates by $5 or $10 an hour. They were happy to do that because they saw the investment. They knew that their work was going to be better. And they don't just, they, then they wouldn't just leave and go to the other person that has a, you know, $5,000 mic that might charge $5 less. They want to stay with the people that they're comfortable with, that they've grown with, that believe in them. They feel part of that, you know, that, that family. So I think that helped with, uh, with the growth. The other thing that helped a lot was the d diversification of things. Now for me, I, um, I preface this with the way that I did it is not necessarily a roadmap, I don't think, for everyone because it takes a, a genuine interest in these different things, uh, but also the ability to be able to flip your mindset from one skill set or practice to another and do them at a, at, a, at a high level. But what I did was try to diversify the revenue streams that we could have as a production company. So when you think about a traditional recording studio, the business model is you build a really great space, you have good equipment, you have good engineers, Someone comes in and they book that space and those engineers by the hour or by the day, and there's a fee for that. Uh, there's a ceiling that you reach, you know, with, with that type of um, uh, situation, uh, business model. What I wanted to do is be able to create this environment 
where an artist could come and I could focus on what I wanted to do. I want to produce records. I don't want to be a music video director. I don't want to be a website designer. Uh, I want to uh, produce records. But I had had artists that needed those other things done, and I had a really great creative relationship with them through producing their music. I understand their creative direction. So I could help guide them through that process. I could educate myself enough on other aspects of the business, uh, be it, or, or other aspects of creativity, uh, be that videography, photography, graphic design, understanding how to market music through, at that time, early on in my career, it was like I helped artists market their music on MySpace. I learned how that whole system worked and I helped artists uh, build their, you know, their foundation in there. You know, so nowadays it would be TikTok, you know, Instagram, SoundCloud, Spotify. But learning enough about those aspects of the business to be a resource, but not try to be a, a decent at kind of, kind of all of these things. I don't want to be a jack of all trades. I want to focus on producing records. But I want to have some stability and I want to be able to build a, a well-rounded business that has different ways that they can support artists. So that was my approach in doing that. Now, let's say that someone's just a mixing engineer. You would think about your, um, you know, your, your income being uh, limited by the amount of mixes that you could do in a day and then what you charge per mix. Um, and I mean, the, maybe some people still charge like hourly, but a lot of you know, mixes are done kind of like on a per song basis with you know, visions and all that built into it. So how many songs you know, can, can you mix in a day? Um, but if you can build a relationship with an artist that might record themselves where you can guide them on how to make their, their tracks better. Um, now you have in the, you know, in the, in the downtime that you could take in between mixes where you need to rest your ears, you could jump on a consultation call with an artist and uh, give them some advice on how to get their, um, their recordings to be better, which is going to help your process be more efficient so you can get more mixes done during the day. And you can help them uh, improve the quality of the work that they're doing which is going to make them feel good because they're improving. You're going to be more valuable to them because you're not only being a good mixing engineer for them, but you're being a good mentor and helping them improve their skills and you know, make their, their music sound better. Um, and then we can think creatively about how to create um, unique revenue streams that are outside of um, the, uh, just the traditional way of, you know, of that being done. And that also becomes a way that now uh, me being someone that was not independently funded by, you know, a, a venture capitalist company or anything like that, I built, I started in an apartment and I fortunately have a, you know, commercial room now. And that happened step by step through thinking about creative ways to be able to create a multifaceted business that could exist through those different things supporting it as opposed to just relying on uh, studio time. Uh, it, hopefully that's a clear way of trying to Describe how that scaling uh, started started to happen. No worries. That was actually perfect. Yeah. That was actually perfect. What were we looking for? Um, we're gonna uh, slowly start to close this episode out, but I want to ask two more questions that I think um, uh, I think would be really helpful for everybody listening right now. Is one, um, when you first started and you were learning, you said you that you learned a lot. You were reading as much as you could. Any sort of specific books or learning assets that you recommend for anybody in a similar position from where you were when you first started? My favorite book uh, most recently 
um, was introduced to me by a couple artists that I work with, Claude Kelly and Chuck Harmony. They're um, prolific songwriters and producers. They uh, run a company called Weirdo Workshop. It's a really cool uh, creative uh, company and, and label uh, here in Nashville. And they host something called Tiny Book Club, where a bunch of creatives get together and, and read a book under 200 pages. And one of the books that they brought in was a book called uh, For Everyone that's written by Jason Reynolds. It's a poem that was written um, for a, uh, an event, and it was written to be kind of a poem towards children. But the way that it developed, it just turned into this incredible statement about perseverance and enjoying the journey as it relates to a creative art. And my favorite quote um, from the book is, uh, your success could be as far away as forever or as close as lunchtime. And I don't know if that's word for word, but that's the basic you know, idea. <laughs> and there, there were just so many moments like that in the book that gave me a lot of really clear perspective on being patient and enjoying the freedom and privilege to be able to make a living, just creating art every day. Um, and also understanding that everybody goes through this, this journey of self-discovery, of um, self-evaluation, and the challenges that come along you know, with that, being a creative person and also trying to build a career being creative. You know, there's so much self-doubt and there's so much adversity that we go through. Being able to see that someone could so eloquently paint a picture around that type of experience and then give some really prolific ways of having a fresh perspective on it. Um, that book, For Everyone, by Jason Reynolds has been the most recent thing that I get super lit up about and I love uh, sharing with people. Awesome. Nice. And lastly, um, this is the one request that we get from everybody here, everybody on the stream, everybody on the podcast, they all want to hear technical things. So uh, like technical advice on recording, mixing, um, anything, any life-changing or highly recommended technical pieces of advice for uh, young to pro engineers and producers. Yeah, I got a couple. Uh, first thing, read the manual. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That's something that I never wanted to do. Uh, I started getting into engineering when I was, when I was really young. Uh, I think I got uh, saved up some money one summer from cutting lawns and I bought a four track cassette recorder and a cheap microphone and um, I never read the manual. I just started pressing buttons and turning things until it started to do what I thought it was, you know, it was supposed to do. And then once I tried to look at the manual, I don't know, it didn't make sense because I could, you know, do that. But when I started getting a more um, in-depth education and stuff, I recognized how much you can gain out of, out of, out of reading it. And, and usually with, like, with audio equipment, the manuals aren't that lame, like in comparison to other types of like, you know, tools or, um, you know, or things that you have to read through that are just so technical. And, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of, um, companies have come up with, you know, creative ways to write their, their manuals. But there's so much that you can learn from that. There's also a lot to say about just diving into something and pressing buttons and turning knobs. That's the really fun part. But you can really expedite that process and make your decisions with more um, intentionality if you learn the technical side of the stuff too. So that would be uh, the first thing. Second thing, uh, use your ears, uh, not what you see on the screen. That was a, a piece of advice that I got when I was in audio school. And it's so helpful. With 
really great um, software like uh, like FabFilters uh, Pro EQ, for example, you can see the frequency response of the sound that you're EQing on there, and that can be a helpful educational you know tool. Um, but I don't know that it that it's a that it's a, a practical thing to use once you really understand it, because it 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 allows your eyes to tell you something without what your ears are telling and, and no one's watching music with their eyes they're listening to it with their ears and i think that we should make those adjustments uh that way as well um you know there, there's reasons that those tools are there and it's cool for them to be helpful but overall i think if we uh at least for me in my in my perspective i've started i've gotten better results when i've taken my eyes off the screen and reached down and turned the knob until it feels right, um, as opposed to um, relying on what I'm seeing. The other thing that happens a lot is that we start to get preconceived ideas in our head, especially with the way that um, Instagram uh, educators uh, have these little tiny you know, memes about uh, what frequency range is gonna make a kick you know, hit the way, or what do you need to take out of a hi-hat in order to get it to sit in the track. It's wonderful that there's all of that information out there, but the thing that a lot of them miss is that everything is so uh, program-specific. There's so many different types of hi-hat sounds and kick sounds and snare sounds. It's really tough to apply one idea of how you could shape the EQ on, on a sound or the compressor on a sound without having the context of anything else around it and just saying, this is how you process you know, a kick drum. So I think that once we get that sort of knowledge, then we have these preconceived ideas. Well, that worked on the on the last track. So now we're looking at the EQ and we're saying, oh, well, yeah, I've, been, I've bumped 60 hertz at that on that last kick. It'll probably, and that track turned out great. So I'm going to do it on this one. And I'm looking at the screen instead of listening to what's actually ha- you know happening with it. Um, and so I think that that would be the, uh, the, the next thing is uh, use your ears, uh, not your not your eyes. And I, I think, honestly speaking, that that it doesn't matter what level of engineering or producing that you're at. I think that is all a habit that we all fall into constantly. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> even if you think you're using your ears, you're probably good to to remember and reemphasize that at all times. Um, but yeah, um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Giovanni, thank you so much. Can you give us a shout out on where people can reach out to you and ask you more questions? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it was great chatting with you. I'm excited that we got to make this thing happen again. Uh, you can get us at therecordshopnashville.com and uh, uh, Instagram at the Record Shop Studios and pretty much the Record Shop Studios all over. Uh, the reason that I like to do these things is to be able to share my experience and what I've learned along the way to be able to help guide others and help them find the same fulfillment in their life that I've been fortunate enough to find in mine. So if you're someone out there that's looking for some specific advice about, you know, direction, you need some help, and you'd be hesitant to reach out to someone like myself because I, you know, I don't know you. My door is open. I've made an agreement with myself that I will answer every email and do what I can to be able to help every individual because I unfortunately didn't have that type of mentorship early on in my career and I feel very blessed to be able to be in the place that I am now in my career. And I want to give back in every way that I can. There's no strings attached. There's no special offer at the end. If you need some help, uh, feel free to hit me up. That's why I'm here to be to, to share my story. Awesome. Cool. 
Well, on that note, then we'll sign off. Thank you so much for listening. Um, real quick, I guess we'll do a quick sponsor shout out and you can be involved with this. Um, we're sponsored by Isotope. And if you would like 10% off of any Isotope products, you can go to isotope.com backslash MM podcast, get 10% off. Um, if you go to that link as well, and they usually offer a seven day trial period for any plugins. But if you go to that link, once again, isotope.com backslash MM podcast, they will also extend your trial period to a full 30 days if you'd like, uh, which is really, really dope. Um, let me ask you, I, I, I can, I already know the answer because it's so, it's so normal. Do you use isotope products? I'm gonna put you on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love their products. There you go. There you go. They're, yeah. They're very, um, they, isotope does a great job at, at, at finding solutions in unique ways. Uh, to create creating tools that can that can find unique solutions to common problems that engineers have, and I love that about their product line. Absolutely awesome! So if you're interested in anything about Isotope, hit up isotope.com/mmpodcast. So on that note, one more time, thank you so much for your time, Giovanni. Thank you so much for um, all of your knowledge that you shared with us. That you'll hopefully be sharing with everybody in the future. If anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to him um, to reach out to you. Uh, and on that note. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.